What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, make sure and click the subscribe button, like, comment, and listeners think about the episode. If there's a particular topic or guest you want covered, we're always checking comments on YouTube. Love to hear from you guys and then be able to get the guests or topics covered that you guys request. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Dusty from 1023 Diesel. And if you're a 7.3 Power Stroke fan, you definitely know him. Um, if you're into Diesel Podcasts, you also know that he has his own podcast which is great and we wanted to have him on to learn more about him his company why he started the podcast the topics that he covers so it's going to be a great conversation i know a lot of times uh, the perception can be that different podcasts don't like each other or something like that but um, dusty has an awesome show we've been following it for a long time and wanted to be able to introduce him to you guys if you haven't heard his show heard um uh, his opinions on trucks and builds and things like that. We wanted to make sure that uh, you took advantage of the knowledge and the expertise he has. So it's going to be a great chat. Before we get to it, though, I want to give a shout out to Kershaw Knives. They're, uh, they've got a really cool discount code for you guys. It's 20% off site wide, and it's just for diesel podcast listeners. So use code 20diesel at kershaw.kaiusa.com. Great way to save some money on some really cool gear. They've got a ton of new models for 2023, and they're designed to meet any budget. So if you need something um, just to throw, you know, in a toolbox and, you know, the truck, um, use for EDC, something like that, you don't want something to break the bank, they've got a ton of different options for you. The Duralock models are new. I've got my hands on a few of them. I ordered, I think, three, and I've been rotating them out, uh, you know, as, a, as an EDC knife. Um, the opening mechanism is sweet and the different types of handle materials they have and it uses D2 steel for the blade which is really cool so definitely head on over check them out if you're in the market and use code 20 diesel to save some money all right let's get to today's podcast with Dusty from 1023 diesel talking about him his shop and his podcast learning more about what he does um, his goals with podcasting what he thinks of diesel performance and a ton of other really cool topics Dusty, welcome to the Diesel Podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you today for a number of different reasons. Um, one is uh, you guys do a ton with diesels. I've been following you guys for a while. Then also you're a podcast host. So we have like this kind of bond across the podcast airwaves that'll be really cool to chat with you, learn more about your business and some really interesting topics that we're going to cover. So welcome to the Diesel Podcast. Yeah, thank you. We both have no idea what we're doing. Perfect. <laughs> we're just going to wing it. Yeah. See what happens. Um, while I'm familiar with you, um, and I know a lot of your fans are, some of our listeners might not. They might not have heard about 1023 Diesel, yourself, your podcast. Tell me a bit about your background in, in diesel, the shop, and then we'll then I want to ask you about the podcast, like where that idea came from and just what your thoughts are with podcasting about diesel. Yeah, so uh, my background, in 2017, we started uh, 1023 Diesel. And it started as um, I was, I live in Alaska and I was selling Ford parts. Nobody, nobody up here sold like OEM Ford parts. And it was a, a big problem for me because I drove a Ford and I really wanted them. And so I started just buying, um, we'll call it bulk, five, five or six of these sensors or harnesses or whatever and keeping them in a spare bedroom. And, um, and then I've, I've had a tendency my whole life to dig way too far into everything that seems interesting and just like go weeks, you know, where I'm barely eating because I'm so interested in it. Um, and so it became, you know, uh, seven threes, uh, seven three parts. And then it was like, it's like, man, I'm just really not happy with the tuning I'm getting. So then it was tuning. It's like, I'm going to dig into tuning and learn how to do this. Um, and in that time, I guess that would have been around 2015 or 2016, um, in that time, I met who's now my business partner, Robert, um, and he was working in Prudhoe Bay as a mechanic for BP. Uh, and when he was off rotation, he'd work two weeks on, two weeks off. We both did. Um, he was working out of his garage fixing trucks. And um, he, he started buying parts from me and, you know, the, the perfect dynamic duo. He fixed stuff and I sold parts. Um we decided like, Hey, let's quit our really great jobs we have uh, in the oil field and let's fix trucks out of your garage and, uh, and start selling parts online and tuning. And, um, that was our beginning. So we spent the last, what, six years, whatever it's been, five, six years, uh, building, uh, 1023 diesel. Now we've got a, um, 11,000 square foot shop. We've got a dozen employees. Um, we've got a 
pretty robust online store. We sell parts all over the world, uh, mainly focused on seven, three power strokes, but there's been some changes to that. So that's the, that's the short version. The part that, uh, one of the things I love about doing a podcast and talking with business owners is that first step. And you had mentioned going from, you know, this very well-paying job, I'm sure there was a lot of security with it. Mm -hmm. And you take this leap into something that you're really interested in. That's really scary. And I know it stops a lot of people. So when you were thinking, was there a hesitation at all that you had in taking that jump and changing everything about finances, time, you know, your experience, just everything, just jumping in? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So what, what I did was I waited until uh, we were moving my wife was nine months pregnant and um, I got to think through the timeline now. Yeah. So we, we sold our house and moved, um, had a baby. um, And I think it was about two weeks after having our second kid uh, and moving is when I quit my job and we did this thing. And uh, before that, I guess a little bit more backstory would be important. Before that, I had actually flown down that that summer before. It would have been the summer of 2017, I guess, um, and was going to work for – was entertaining the idea of moving to Ohio and working for CNC Fabrication. I know you guys just did a show with them. Yeah. Um, And spent two or three days down there, I think it was. um, And we were – fairly set on like selling our house and moving to Ohio. But being that we already had one kid and we had another one on the way, um, all of our families up here, uh, it just, it wasn't going to work. Like it just was too hard to leave Alaska. And so at that, at that point I was already selling tuning. I was already selling parts. Um, and I had a high interest in being in the automotive world. Um, it, I just didn't know what that was going to look like. There wasn't really opportunity for that up here in Alaska. Um, and so, you know, there was quite a bit of time that led up or quite a bit of time that went by before we made the full leap into this. Um, and it was about a year of struggling, you know, my wife and I have like, this is what I want to do, but maybe it's stupid, you know, like I'm, I guess I've been 22 at the time, uh, 21, 22. And it's like, I'm young enough that I have time to make some bad choices and I could probably correct them. But, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, she was extremely supportive despite it being painful. Uh, and whether it was moving to Ohio or it was, uh, you know, quitting my job and trying to figure something out here, uh, it was extremely hard to make that choice. Um, I shouldn't say that it wasn't hard to make the choice. It was fairly easy to make the choice. Uh, that that's what we wanted to do, but it was it was really hard to uh, to just make the final call. Like yeah. like that last leap was was really difficult, but um, it was also extremely motivating. Like I think uh, if you've got if if the opportunity is too easy, then you don't try very hard. And um, for us, it's like you know we were doing like ten thousand dollars in sales, and it's like how are we going to support two people on that? Like we're not, but we'll have to figure it out. Cause, um, now we have, you know, two families we need to support on this. And I don't think that we would have grown as fast as we did or learned as much as we did. If it wasn't for that, that like that need to do well. So a lot of similarities our stories have, cause I was a little bit older than you, but was back then at that same kind of point in time. But I felt the pressure of if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it because mm-hmm. I'm going to settle down. I'm going to start a family. How many, you know, am I really going to want to start something completely fresh, you know, in my mid thirties, early thirties. And yep. what was really interesting about that time is it started off great. And I thought, man, this is what all the time was for. This is what all the hard work and the research and making connections and building relationships. And then it flatlines or goes down. And then you sit there thinking, oh man, this is scary. Like I left something that was comfortable every two weeks. I knew something was coming in and now this is all on my shoulders. What am I going to do? Like I didn't picture, you know, how that would go, but there was that interest in just trying to figure out how do I fit into this? Um, Maybe I don't want to follow 
the typical way that it's done. Maybe I have my own vision for it. So I think that's a really fascinating sign. And why I always love to ask that question of kind of the start and journey of diesel is we can put, we can humanize the brand. We can humanize the logo that we might not get when we see it on social media. If we stop at the shop or if I call in, I might not know what you went through to get there, um, but it adds a really unique dynamic to the, uh, to the story and then where you're at now and where you plan to go in the future with the company. Yeah. I would say to add to that, um, maybe you experienced the same thing, but what I did was I looked at, I looked around at everybody I worked with who was in their, you know, late thirties, forties, fifties. And, um, you know, they, they had this good job that I have, uh, and they have had it for 20 years. And I'm like, I don't want to be doing the same thing in 20 years. It's like, that's more terrifying than the thought of failing at something else. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's always, especially, and this is the case everywhere, but, um, for us, like in the oil field, it's like, it's false sense of security to think you're going to get a paycheck every two weeks, you know, like any, any job could just disappear. And now, you know, you don't, you don't have that paycheck. You get fired. You're not in control of anything. Um, and you know, you could make the argument of, well, maybe I'm a little too young and dumb to be able to be in full control of my future. Um, but I think that, you know, I'm sure you probably saw this too. A little bit of insight goes a long way and, um, taking that leap, you can learn a lot by going off on your own and trying to take control of what your future is. Um, even when you don't totally know what that looks like, but like, I, I am a much more comfortable and I will say wise person than I would have been had I not made that choice now. And I'm glad to have learned a lot of the stuff that I learned really early on. Um, so I'm not figuring out these, you know, these life problems, you know, 20 years down the road when I'm too settled, like it hasn't been easy. There's been lots of hell and I've made a lot of bad choices, um, and, uh, and paid a lot of heavy prices for them, but I've learned a ton in a very short amount of time. And I, despite any amount of money we would have made or not made, like the, the wisdom that comes from the, you know, the struggle, um, I think, and I think it's worth it. It's well worth it. I think the two biggest things that motivated me was one, you had mentioned there might not be that security. And I saw that through my twenties. I did everything right. I, I, I got the degrees I needed to get. I worked hard. I was always on time, but I could still see how things would change within a company where there might be layoffs there. The company might be sold consolidated. And I, I didn't feel that security. And the second thing was I didn't like being told what I was worth. Mm -hmm. And I felt like there was a cap on it and I could look around my family or, um, you know, older people that I knew and they were much the same as you described. They did the same thing for 25 years. It was consistent. It was comfortable, but I just didn't want to put a limit on myself, but you do make some trade-offs when you decide you want to do it because you do not necessarily make as much or you have extra stresses, um, and things like that. But I think that uh, something a lot of people are going to identify with. Like I had somebody earlier this week say, um, hey, I'm 21 years old. I want to start a diesel shop. Um, Have you done episodes about those? Or can you direct me to a YouTube channel or something to be able to get some insights? Um, And that's what we really need overall is more people taking that leap, getting involved in diesel in any capacity, whether it's heavy duty, agriculture, diesel pickup trucks. And I think that's one of the things with a podcast that's so powerful. And what I wanted to ask you about next is your podcast. Where or how did the idea arise that, hey, I want to talk to, you know, people, I want to cover topics and put them out there? Was it something that uh, you just didn't find an avenue to be able to express it through the normal social media ways that things are done? Um, was it really great conversations you had with people that you're like, we need to record this and and deliver this to people's, you know, smartphones and apps and things like that. Or where did it come from? Um, well, it's, so it's, it's actually kind of funny. One of the things, part of that whole, like I dive way too far into things, um, is that, uh, I don't usually learn the right way. I usually completely go backwards. Um, when we, we were, 
I would say we got our kickstart on social media. So mainly on Facebook, uh, very popular, very quickly, mainly because like tuning, like the black box theory is just something that everybody loves to love and loves to hate. It could be both, but, um, it's extreme. You could quickly become extremely popular in that field. Um, but what I learned was there, that passion does not make a business work. Um, and when, when you are very present on social media, like in groups, which, which was, I'm not mad that that happened. Like we wouldn't have gotten where we are if it wasn't for that. Um, but it became pretty obvious that we were spending way too much time trying to please people in a way that was impossible to maintain. Um, and, being present constantly meant that I had to be present constantly and I couldn't focus on all the work that has to happen in the background. Um, and getting better at what we do, like it's not just a matter of like selling a product or lots of products. There's a lot of support, um, and, uh, configuration apps in the background. So rather than answering the same question, uh, over and over and over again, um, on social media, uh, I kind of just turned it off and said, I'm not doing social media anymore. Like we're done. I'm not, I'm getting out of the groups and I did. I even left Facebook. I deleted my Facebook. Um, everybody thought I died. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, I'm just going to do uh, production instead. I'm going to, I'm going to say what I, what I think needs to be said in a way that it's, uh, we can reference it um, and have a conversation around it rather than just repeating the same information. Cause like, it's kind of crazy if you look at the forums and, and then Facebook, so any form of media where people can communicate text, um, it's extremely repetitive. And the same questions and answers have been happening for like 20 years around seven threes. Um, I'm like, it, it seems strange to me that we're still doing it the same way. Like, it's not, it's fine to have those conversations, but like, it should be possible to search these topics and find the answers like from some personality. I didn't think I should be the personality for it. I'm like, I, I don't like, I'm extremely introverted. I don't like talking to people. Um, but that's something that can be learned. Uh, but I think the information is the part that should be available. And so I was like, we're going to go in on producing the media, the podcast videos, whatever, learn how to do that. Um, and share information that way rather than just in text saying the same thing repeatedly. That was the, that was the reason for the beginning of it. And it turns out that people actually like that. So yeah, it, it's, there's another similarity there is I'm extremely introverted and mm -hmm. I've had to learn, you know, before I ever did a podcast and I would talk with somebody say who would be popular in diesel or who's very well known. It was usually because there was either a problem or solution. One of us had, the other one could fix it because they made the part or they built this or they built that. And I think back to the first handful I did, I was super nervous. I'm like, how am I going to keep the conversation going? What if I, you know, reach a spot where I don't know the question to ask? I've idolized this person forever. What can I really ask him that, you know, people are going to find interesting, but you do learn how to do it. And ours started really kind of the same way as wanting to be able to share information that we would only hear or I would only hear in a conversation after a dyno event or a competition mm -hmm. or something like that where I'm like, people need to hear this. They need to hear how this person builds injectors, how this person builds a transmission or a turbo that they won't get at an event. Um, you know, we've all been fans. I've gone up to Boost before, way before I was in this, and I want to ask somebody a bunch of questions. They don't have enough time to, to do that. Yep. Well, how can we do that? How can we deliver it in something other than tech? So it's really cool how it started for, for you guys. And then, uh, some similarities that, you know, we saw on our end. Yeah. And the thing is too, I think, um, there's certainly a lot to production that like you, it can be better. You can make it more engaging or whatever. Um, but also like, the fear doesn't necessarily go away of like having a good conversation, I don't know how to master that. I have certainly haven't mastered it. Like, I don't know why we can talk perfectly fine, but I still get nervous sitting here talking to you. And like, I've done many, many, many hours of sitting in front of a camera. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I agree that getting to have those conversations, 
I think getting to hear the passion too, like I'm sure similar to you, um, I'm never going to be like the engineer who makes something incredible. Like maybe you are, I shouldn't put that on you. No, I'm not. (laughs) That's just not me. You know, like I, I don't have that talent. I love talking to people who do that though. Like, um, a couple shows I would, I would love to have and a couple engineers, um, like drivetrain engineers and stuff that are not able to, because of their careers, um, talk about what they do. It's like, like, I want to know, like, how do you plan for life cycles when you're designing, you know, a gear set, you know, like that's the stuff like, to me, it's really interesting. Maybe I'm just weird, but like, I know that I'm not smart enough to be the one who goes and actually does that, <laughs> but I would love to talk to people who do. And, um, and I, I, I think that it's great what you're doing. So, well, it's, it's one of the really interesting things. Sometimes people, will think that because you host a podcast, you don't talk to other podcast hosts. There's like this unwritten rivalry where you just hate the other person. Exactly. But it's not like that because they're all different. Like what you cover on yours is different than what I will have on with a guest or the questions because our backgrounds are different. Our interests are different. Mm -hmm. So we can take the same component of a truck and we will have two entirely different podcasts about it because you're focused on, um, you know, set of interests or set of things that really appeal to you and you know your audience is going to appeal to. And, you know, like the way we started this one, I'm like, how did you start 1023 Diesel? What was it like? What was the process like? Um, you know, it's that more, um, I guess that journey or that challenge uh, that we don't get in automotive, which I love to cover because yeah. it's always very much, um, I don't know the right word for it, but it's always it's built on or shown on results. It's, um, you know, an appearance and it's really tough to be able to get answers of struggle and challenges. And, you know, um, somehow I've been able to pull out some of the stories from some of the guests, but that's what I love. So it's, it's really kind of interesting because, uh, like I said, I've heard more than a few times. Oh, podcast hosts don't talk to each other. Two different shows that hate each other. It's like four GM Ram stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, I go to bed every night just thinking, "Damn you, Patrick." <laughs> the yeah. um, Now with, I have watched and listened to your podcast before, and I can tell you this honestly: what I would listen for is the details you described. I don't own a 7.3. I've never owned a 7.3. I don't know if I ever would. Not because I have anything against them. I just don't know if I ever would. I got lots against them. But (laughs) but I would tune in and listen because I could learn something from it. Mm -hmm. Um, as As you look out into the future of not just the podcast, but your business, do you see a shift of people, one, requesting content, two, requesting parts where it's getting into the newer trucks? Or do you find that there's a lot of people looking back to like quote unquote pre-emission stuff where they're still wanting to hear all these details about something that, you know, ceased production in 2003 or 2007? Uh, yeah, I wish I could answer that question. The, what I, what I do know is that I kind of assumed that these trucks were going to just die and people would stop caring about them, mm-hmm. but they don't. And, um, the conversation can go both ways. We've had lots of conversations with people that are like, yeah, I tow a, you know, 40 foot toy hauler and I want to build my seven, three to tow it. Well, it's like, you can't like, if you want a good experience, you're going to have to buy a new truck and lots of people go that way and they're very happy with it. Um, and there's also lots of people that move away from a hundred thousand dollar F450 to a, you know, I guess now it's a $25,000 seven, three, um, and they plan on maintaining it for a long time. Now I don't get to have conversations with people over long periods of time to know if they actually keep them or not. Uh, but there are certainly lots of people that want to maintain older, older trucks, um, mainly just for the cost. Now, a lot of people say it's because of emissions. Um, and they don't like, they don't want to have to deal with emissions problems. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's, harder to get like you know delete parts and tuning and everything now than it was five or six years ago but most people will still do that if they think it's reasonable um the thing that i think is kind of missed is like lots of people want to have a conversation around emissions and like should i delete my truck or not Um, or they just want to but 
that isn't the whole picture when it comes to, to automotive. Like we think that just because seven threes are, you know, uh, pre DPF and EGR that, you know, it's a, uh, it's a green light on anything you'd want to do to them. And the sad thing is that isn't how this works. Like that isn't true. And, uh, like that's a whole large topic. And I know you've got, you've covered it, um, with, um, uh, with Stuart before on about the EPA and like what regulation looks like, but like your 350 200s, the EPA could very easily say no more. Like they, they could easily find a shop for selling them. Like they are within the bounds of something that could be considered illegal. Like, um, it's not as simple as just oh, the trucks pre-emissions. We can do whatever we want to it. And I think that, um, this is something that we've tried to press on and get people to, to see and honestly have done a pretty bad job of it because uh, our perspective is so different than the people who are buying parts um, is that like your expectations of what this industry uh, should look like are not what it actually looks like. And I've wanted for a long time, what we've, we've tried to do is bridge that gap between what people perceive the industry to be and what's actually going on in the background. Um, because that, that struggle is, uh, it's very large and, and a lot of companies are, you know, they're fighting like hell to figure out how to continue right now. Um, because there's not a clear path. Um, and I know for us, like, like we have dealt with the EPA. We spent two years dealing with the EPA on um on a lot of things and, and that you know the conclusion of that interaction was uh we are no longer selling like one of the main products we're known for which is 7.3 tuning and that's for 7.3s like this is pre-emissions trucks and we haven't publicly talked a lot about why um because it's extremely complex and it's a very big legal issue but but i want to i just want to approach it from I want to be clear and detailed about what the path forward is, not just doomsday. Oh, it's all, you know, it's all falling apart, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So that's kind of been what we've tried to learn how to do with our show. Um, and, uh, I think that continuing that conversation with, um, performance and doing it legally is, I think it's extremely important. That's an exceptional point that you made because I get so many either requests or things that I'm reading where there's this perception that if it's pre 2007, you can do whatever you want, however yeah. you want to do it. And I've had guests on talking about first gens. Why'd they go intercooled? They went intercooled because of emissions. <clears throat> Why did they go to a VP 44? Why do the early 0359s and the 04 and a half to 07s have different pistons? It's because, and not just that, there's other things to it but they did have emissions controls on it. But the general public, I think, looks at it like, well, there's no DPF, there's no DF fluid I have to put in. There yeah. may or may not be an EGR. I can do whatever I want to it. And I think yeah. where that tends to reach a point is with tuning, which we talked about a little bit before the podcast. And just, I think that's maybe because it's the first real upgrade people do to power. Mm -hmm. um, it's the most common, it always has been when we're talking electronic, you know, whether it's common rail or like the six O's and, and seven threes and things like that. It was the first thing people would do. And it's changed vastly from, I think I was joking around earlier. I'm like, I remember the early days you go on like Cummins forum and somebody would have these files that they made and boom, there's your tune. Well, it's yep. not as simple anymore. And I'm not on that side. I don't, the only thing I know is what guests tell me. How has that gotten more complex to where the, the truck owner is listening right now, the guy that's in his truck or he's hot shotting or in his garage can understand more of the challenges that exist even pre 07 on the tuning side. Well, it's, um, I, I don't know. So I can tell you for us, like we, we're trying to decide, uh, is it worth trying to get, um, an EO number or a carb certification for our seven, three tuning. Um, you know, for, for us, it was, 
the the tuning itself was never we never like we didn't make most of our money from tuning most of our money came from part sales and repair in our shop um, but it made us uh, it was something that we could offer that was an edge we could say like when you buy parts from us we'll include tuning or something like that um, and so it's a major it's a major hit to not sell it um, but the process for getting a certification is not it's not simple and it's not clearly defined. Like we, we have asked the EPA, you know, what do, what do we do to be compliant? Like what steps does the EPA recommend? Um, and, uh, you know, how do we, uh, how do we get a certification? How do we get any owner? Like, where does this happen? What is the path for that? Uh, and the answer is you have to talk to a private company. That's something you do through, you know, through California, defer it off to another state or a private company to do, um, which to me seems crazy. It's like the, uh, as just another human, not talking as a business owner, it's like the government's like, you have to follow the rules. And it's like, what's the rules? They're like, I don't know. Talk to somebody else. Like, okay, but this is, I don't like, that makes it really hard, you know? And I know there's a lot of smart people that have done well, uh, selling parts and tuning and have figured it out. Um, I guess we're in the beginning stages of it. So I'm, we're working on finding those answers, but I don't have them right now. Um, I think that's what would be cool to be able to follow your podcast and listen to or conversations we can have is what it's like to go through in real time, because I don't really get that on my end or with our guests. It's usually it's done. Here's the EO number. It's on the website. Go have fun. Buy the parts. Get the extra power. Yeah. But we don't know why. You know, I, I think if I put on my truck enthusiast hat the the most frustrating part when you have a newer style truck is why don't I have tuning for it? Why don't I have these parts? And before it would seem like, well, it was just a matter of the guy doing testing, putting it on the dyno, um, having the parts cast or milled or machined, and then they're out there. Yeah. Well, now you have this whole other process of it has to be 49 or 50 state, you know, quote legal or tested or backed up where that does add to the, to the delay of what's out there. Yeah, it does. And, you know, a lot of people will, at least I see in the enthusiast world. Um, and like, listen, I, I get, I get all sides of it. I get the guys who just want to race and I get the guys that want to play. Um, and I, you know, I guess I can't see the guys that just want to blow smoke everywhere. I don't really understand that one. Um, but I get the enthusiast, uh, <laughs> you know, Dukes of Hazard side of, the automotive, um, world, but I kind of got like thrusted into the, uh, well, what's the actual like marketing and product side of the world. And, um, and that's where I, you just kind of go, it's like a slap in the face, uh, every morning when you wake up. Cause it's like, this is not what I thought it was. Um, I see a lot of people that that'll hate on, you know, companies like, like banks or ATS or, you know, edge or any of the companies that just produce a, a good, well-rounded product, um, that doesn't affect the life cycle of the vehicle. Um, and it's like, you got to look at, this is something we pushed on really hard. Um, it's very easy to make your truck worse than it used to be by trying to achieve performance let's say. Um, and a lot of people go the route of, you know, too large of turbo or injectors or whatever, wanting to be an enthusiast. Um, but the problem is, and, and, you know, we've gotten to see this from the support side. The problem is when you decide to put a bigger set of injectors and turbo and injection pump and all this stuff on your truck, um, or a modified transmission, you know, well, that modified transmission is going to shift different now, you know, uh, and while you could maybe get tuning, that's going to make it shift better or more like what you want, it isn't going to be the truck it used to be. Um, and without the tools and knowledge, like you're taking on a lot of responsibility when you modify something that was engineered to be exactly what it was from the factory without a whole lot of care in, um, in what you're installing, uh, and no way of diagnosing what is wrong with it when it doesn't run the way you thought it should. Or even if you, even if it's like maybe the way that it is running after you install the parts is as good as it can with the parts you installed, but it isn't what you wanted. Um, and I, I am so interested in the enthusiast 
wanting to be part of that and install those parts, I think that's great. Um, but I do think that there needs to be a lot better understanding of like, what are you getting yourself into uh, before you make those choices? And we've gotten a lot of like pushback, people thinking like I'm anti-performance or whatever because of saying that, but uh, I'm not. I just also get to see so many people that have like they ruined their truck uh, and they don't know how to fix it. And I think that if we can, through like education, like just putting out information on like, how do you address this specific problem? What are diagnostic steps? Like, here's what to look for when you do this. Um, Here's what to expect. Like the truck is probably going to idle. It's going to smoke more at high altitude when you put bigger injectors in it when it's cold, you know, like it's going to, like, these are things that can happen, you know, and if you have, like, why is it important to check compression before you put $10,000 into a, uh, you know, external parts of your engine? Like, um, I think, I guess, probably going to get flamed for saying this too, but um, I think the barrier to entry is just too low in some ways um, for the enthusiast, like, parts market in that, uh, it's too easy to make a big mistake. Um, not that I wish that, you know, regulation should stop people from making the choices they want to make, but I do think that education can fill that gap. That's probably a better way to put it. That's another really excellent point. Cause I was thinking of personal examples in my own experience. Um, I had a friend that had a, uh, or, uh it's a 2003 5.9 and it was a truck he would drive around. He used it for his business. He goes, well, you know, I kind of want more power out of it. Where should I get it to? I go, well, probably like 550, 600 is probably going to be the most you want. It's still going to have some of the reliability. It's not going to be a smoke show. No, I want a thousand horse. I'm like, you don't want a thousand horse. You don't want to daily drive that. You don't want to start it when it's five degrees outside. You don't want all the supporting things. Did they listen to me? No. Yeah. So they spent the money and it pretty much sits and they bought another, like a newer truck to drive around that had all the things in it. And And that's fine. If people want to play truck, then that's (laughs) go for it, you know? (laughs) But I think it, I don't think it's being anti-performance. It's just like, you see it a ton that people probably come to you. They did a whole bunch of things to their truck. They're not happy with it. And now they want to get either back to the reliability or the mileage or whatever it might be that they want out of that truck. And then I'll get these sometimes like, I really feel bad when I read these emails or these messages of, these guys that have spent or gone down this road and they have this beautiful truck and they're just unhappy with it. It's not what they mm-hmm. want. Happens a lot. Like you spent twenty, thirty thousand dollars on this. Like I'll let me do a podcast about it. Cause if I can help somebody out there to stop and say, Hey, um, maybe I don't want to go this route. Maybe I do want to see what a twelve hundred horsepower five nine common rail is like every day. Maybe I yeah. do wanna understand all these things before I jump into it. Because it ultimately it creates a situation where you ruin owning a diesel for yourself or somebody else mm-hmm. because you have such a nightmare that's so expensive that you're like, I'm just going to sell it and I'm just going to go get a gas truck. I'm never going to get another one again. Well, we just lost an enthusiast. We just lost somebody who would buy the tuning, the parts, would listen to the podcast, would follow a page on social media that would go to an event, that would go to races. They're not going to do it now because the experience was so bad. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a shame to see. Um, I, I really want this to, I want this, this industry to continue. Uh, I, right now I don't own a truck. I don't like, I don't have time. I, one, I don't have a need for one. Uh, and I spend, you know, 16 hours a day working. Like I don't haul anything. I don't go camping. Like I just work. That's all I do. Um, but, and I help other people like, they could just spend money on trucks. Um, but I don't want it to stop. You know, I, I, I really enjoy, um, when some, probably my favorite thing, one of the things we do is we do, we do build plans. That's another thing we kind of launched alongside leaving social media was like, if I can't, if I can't, uh, get the right information in front of people before they make a choice, like on my website, right. Um, and they don't listen to our podcast or they don't hear the right thing before they make the choice. Like the best I can do is just set aside uh, a scheduled time to talk about your build before you do it. Like we can go top to bottom spend 30, 40 minutes doing it. Um, and we can come up with a plan. And 
you know, based on experience from working with thousands of other people who wanted to do that same thing, um, we could hopefully, uh, hopefully get, get the right list of parts together, um, that will avoid the most amount of problems and get you cl as close as you want to what it is you think as close as possible with to, th to what it is you think you want. Like that's, um, so we do build plans where you can schedule a time. You can, you can have a conversation about it. And I, those have been to the business owners. Those have been extremely good for us. And it's been extremely good for our customers because, um, most of the time you can walk away from those conversations. If you go, if you make a plan ahead of time with, uh, the, the end user being extremely thankful that like they have a massive amount more knowledge now about what they're doing. Um, and as the business owner, you get to walk away with, uh, someone who's going to be loyal to your company because you just took the time to walk through the whole process and explain it to them. So I, I would encourage a lot of people to do that. That's one of the few things we've done that's worked really well. Um, what would you say with a build plan? What is, I, I'm sure there's more than one thing, but what would you say is the biggest mistake that people make when they do a build or if they don't do a plan? Like what's the one thing to avoid? I'm sure it would be even be regardless of what truck you have, but just one thing that they need to avoid doing to avoid a, a costly mistake. Uh, injector size. So what I would lay out is, uh, if you're talking power, if we're not talking like like tires and lift kits and bumpers and whatever, we're talking specifically for the like the power you want to make. Um, injectors is probably the first thing you decide on, and you can't decide on injectors until you know how much power you want to make. And oftentimes, you can't decide on how much power you want to make unless your truck is doing what it's supposed to be doing now, and you know what it could be like with the injectors it currently has, meaning using tuning to get there. Um, once you know what injectors are going to be reasonable for the way that you want the truck to run, everything else kind of has to be chosen after that. Um, and a lot of people just, they're like, they got 200,000 miles and their injectors fail. Uh, and they'll just buy a big set planning that maybe someday down the road, they'll want to do a bigger build. And uh, this is specific to power strokes, especially early power strokes. I don't I guess with Cummins people, like everybody just drives around with a thousand horsepower and it's fine. I don't know that world. So, um, but, but yeah, I would say the biggest thing is, uh, injectors that are way too large for what you need the truck to actually do and not having the supporting modifications in place to make use of them, uh, when you have them. That's what I find how the conversation can go. Um, say if I stick with a seven, three, Somebody will say, hey, I just had uh, an issue with my truck. I've looked at the new ones. I don't necessarily know if I want to spend $105,000 on this one I just looked at. Mm -hmm. But the the thing they go to immediately, it's not the technology in the new ones. It's not any of that. It's the power. It's the horsepower and the torque. Mm -hmm. And then they think, okay, well, how can I get my 7.3? Or we could insert any truck in there to that power level. Oh, well, here's yeah. these injectors and this turbo yeah. and tuning. Boom, you're right there but there can be so many other things that pop up along the way that you really need to see if you want it, which is probably the, the toughest side. Cause like, how can you find somebody that has a 1200 horsepower, 800, 750, go for a ride net, use it the exact way you use it and decide, yep, this is exactly what I want. I'm ready to start writing. Well, not people don't write checks anymore, but like, you know, start yeah. using, start using my credit card, my debit card for it. Um, so I could see how not doing that, could lead to an absolute nightmare. If anybody's super rich and wants a terrible idea, just like just start like Carvana for modified diesels, like do a test run first. Yeah. <laughs> Get your little like spiral car spitter router and yeah. Um it, you you can't know ahead of time, but I know with like seven threes, like what I would always encourage people to do is uh like start if if power is the goal, uh start by making sure the truck is healthy first, if you can. I think that's reasonable, meaning check compression. Does it maintain fuel pressure? Does it maintain injection pressure? Like there's lots of things to look at there. Um, and then it's, then it's start with tuning and get some sort of monitoring. And, um, you know, like I said, make use of the fuel that you currently have available before you make a choice on more. Um, cause there's not, there's not like the, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So like one of the things we like run into a lot is uh, 
you can't just put bigger injectors in your truck and expect it to do exactly what it used to, but with more power. Um, now you can, you can do that with Cummins trucks, I guess. Like I said, I don't know. I don't know that world, but that's what it seems like. Um, but like you put, you put any injector that's not stock in like a super duty seven, three, uh, it is a, it's a different truck now. Like it's not going to start the same. It's not going to idle the same. It'll probably smoke more when it's cold. Um, it'll be harder to manage GTs. Like, and I don't know what it is with seven threes that makes them like so hard to get to idle correctly. Um, but, but also the perception of what people think correctly means. It's like, you know, when you make a mod bunch of modifications and you get tuning, it's like, I'm getting tuning to correct the thing I just did to my truck to make it run, uh, to make it run right, let's say. It's like running right uh, is what the tuning is for. Yes, it will cause the truck to hopefully run correctly, but correctly does not mean like it used to when it was stock. It's different now, you know? Um, and I think that that's probably another thing that's uh, very misunderstood uh, is that, um, you know, everything you do has some effect. It could be good, could be bad, it could be both. And maybe the good is worth, you know, it outweighs the bad. But, um, you know, every change you make to your truck is going to have uh, some, probably some negative and positive effect. Um, and I'd say knowing what those are before you make those changes is really important. Is there a sweet spot you found for the 99 to 03 trucks where for a daily driver, something that will tow to capacity or haul to capacity, is there a power number that seems to be a good spot for them? Yeah. I mean, it's been popular for a long time and I would say I'd stick to that, that idea is, um, stage one and a half injectors. So like a 180 30 injector is going to get you a maximum of around like 400 horsepower. Um, to the ground, um, you know, that, that nearly, you know, in a race tune will double your power from the factory. It's not nothing. It's not 500 horsepower, but it's not nothing. Um, but the thing is, uh, that combined with something like, like, you know, one of your sponsors, Casey turbos, um, like their stage one turbo and then, uh, you know, tuning mild transmission modifications, like 400 horsepower, it's pretty easily attainable. It's pretty reliable. It's not going to have a massive, like, like it's pretty unlikely you're going to huck a rod. You know, it's uh, you're not going to have catastrophic failures from it um, as long as it's treated well. Uh, and it gets you the most amount of power that's possible to be useful. And I think that's another thing that's uh, that kind of gets overlooked some is, like, there's only so much power you can make with any vehicle that's, actually going to be useful for what you're doing yeah. and with seven threes it's you know somewhere in like the 300 to 350 ish horsepower range is about as much as we can make that's that you can like keep the truck cool you know um so as long as we can hit that target um when it comes to something that's going to be working i'd say that's a that's a pretty good place to stop unless you're just unless you really like uh you hate your money and and like you know, tinkering. So. <laughs> I think usable power is a really good point that you made because regardless of whether it's 500 horsepower or 1200 or 1500, there's only so much on a road yeah. that you're going to be able to use safely. And it, it's really trying to line up your power goal with how you use the truck, which will vary from owner to owner and, and what our goals are. But that's one of the most common questions that we'll get is, <clears throat> you know, what power level is good for my particular truck and like i said with seven threes i've been around them a little bit but i never owned one i never tuned one i never did anything besides ride in one or maybe drive it a few times yeah and for me for getting point a to b or hauling something it was fine um it might not have had the you know easy 800 horsepower cummins recipe or duramax recipe but that's not what it was used for and i've really enjoyed through my journey in just covering diesel is learning what each particular fan of each motor really enjoys. Like it tends to be, I've said this before, it's like if you're a Cummins fan, you're a Cummins fan. If you're a Duramax fan, you're a Duramax fan. But when it comes to Fords, I got to ask, well, are you a fan of the 7.3s, the 6.0s, yeah. the 6.4s, the 6.7s? Because it's very specific to each one, and they have sort of different goals that you know that are in mind. Um, not yeah. that a 7.3 can't make a ton of power. I know they they can, and people have done it but it tends to be a different set of, of, of goals. So I think that'll definitely 
definitely help people. Now, for those who are listeners, like, man, I got a 7.3, or I want to hear more of um, of Dusty's build plans and things like that. Where can people find your podcast, find you know, on social media, and check out what you guys have and, and some of the content you guys are producing? Yeah, we're just uh, 1023 Diesel. It's 1023 Diesel on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, you can follow my personal Facebook. It's just Dustin Hogate, but I don't I don't post much there. Unless you're into political things, you can follow <laughs> me. Um, and then our podcast is the 1023 Diesel Shop Talk podcast. Very cool. It was awesome to connect with you. I've enjoyed chatting with you, not just on the podcast, but beforehand and just sharing our thoughts on the diesel industry, the community, trucks the future of it, our own interests within it. And it's really cool to chat with you today. So I look forward to being able to talk with you more and be able to learn more myself, whether it's about seven threes or maybe some of the newer ones and just your insights and experience in the industry and how it applies to truck owners out there, people who are wanting to get the most out of their truck or make an informed buying decision or put a build plan together. So it was great yeah. to chat with you today. Yeah, it's great to talk to you too. I appreciate it. Don't forget, diesel fans, make sure and head on over to kershaw.kaiusa.com. Use code 20diesel for 20% off site-wide. Great way to save some money on some really cool gear and be able to get something for like hunting, fishing, EDC, something to throw in a toolbox, glove box, something to work really hard. They've got a ton of different choices to meet any budget, and their new Duralock models are really cool. Um, they keep your fingers away from the opening from the blade opening and closing and the blade uses d2 steel which is nice and it's priced really aggressively so if you're in the market definitely make sure and head on over to their website and use code 20 diesel for 20 percent off site-wide also want to give a shout out to some of our patreon supporters tyler low and a 23 diesel j cole john all of our other patreon supporters all of you who follow us on instagram TikTok, facebook um, youtube podcast apps on our discord we appreciate all your feedback here in year seven of the diesel podcast love hearing from you guys so if you have a suggestion for a show or guest or would like us to have a guest back on to maybe expand on something they mentioned on an episode drop us a message comment let us know we love to be able to take your feedback and get it on to future episodes until next time keep the shiny side up